Welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast. In this podcast, we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we do tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors too. Hello podcast listeners, I'm Alan Collins of Hugh James Solicitors and I'm joined by my colleague Sam Barker. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about the first report of the all-party parliamentary group for adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. This was a group that was formed in November 2018. The purpose of the group was to highlight the needs of victims and survivors across the UK and to give a voice to their concerns in the UK Parliament. So, the first report has just come out. We've just had a look at it, Sam, had a read-through, and there's some very interesting information that's contained in it, which we would like to share with our listeners today. Yeah, well, I think one of the first things to note that comes out of the report that's obviously very important and rather startling in its own way is the magnitude of this issue. It of the people surveyed um, and also what the report has found is that 7% of people in the UK between the age of 16 and 59 reported that they were sexually abused as a child. And I think this tells us many important things uh, and also obviously some very troubling things. But I think two very important things it shows us is that the impact of child sexual abuse is on a scale which nobody would really ever imagine. And also, it's not a vestige of some less civilised past, which many would consider the case. This is a 2019 report with recent data. The youngest people surveyed, as I said, was 16 years old. Many listeners and people would maybe be forgiven for thinking that recent awareness around this issue and great leaps that have been taken in safeguarding techniques, laws, procedures, and otherwise would reduce the incidence of childhood sexual abuse in our society. But this data suggests otherwise. So from the outset, it's showing us that this is a real problem with a human cost that can't be ignored. I think there's two points to pick up from there is not just the human cost, but the economic cost, because it costs the UK millions and millions of pounds each year dealing with the consequences of child abuse, whether it's healthcare, people not being able to work, therefore there's a real drain on the economy. And... There was a crime survey a couple of years ago which actually stated that approximately one in four adults may have been abused as a child. So this 7% statistic referred to in the parliamentary report may be an underestimate. But nevertheless, whether it's 7% or whether it's 25%, it's massive. The reality is there's a huge cost in human terms but also in economic terms. Yeah, and taking that into account, what the report's done is it's asked a question, uh, a very pivotal question in my view, and that is, can adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse access justice and support? With so many people affected by this, that's clearly a question that needs to be taken into consideration because accessing support and justice puts people back onto the road to recovery and that minimises the human cost and also the cost to the economy. It's a contentious issue, though, because... There is, in spite of the sort of current level of awareness, still considerable failing in appreciation as to the human and economic cost. 
and there are many barriers that prevent survivors accessing not just support but also access to justice. It's almost as if these barriers have been put up to prevent them from getting access Mm. and there seems to be a considerable reluctance to remove those barriers and a lot of it I think to put it very bluntly is born out of ignorance. I think there are too many people in positions of responsibility who just do not get it. They just do not understand the consequences of childhood sexual abuse, abuse generally. Yeah. And well, let's look at yeah. that. Let, let, let's look at that. Why don't you tell the listeners what the percentage of people surveyed, how they record the impact on their lives. So we've got some figures here. Yeah. So this parliamentary report has come up with some very interesting figures. So they are saying that 365 survivors of childhood sexual abuse were surveyed and the following statistics were revealed. Number one, the average wait time for disclosure of sexual abuse is 26 years. That strikes um, with my own experience of working with survivors. There is often a considerable gap between the abuse and them disclosing. 26 years seems to be a pretty good statistic, in my opinion, for that issue. 90% of respondents told the inquiry that the abuse was negatively impacting on their intimate relationships. Thirdly, 89% of respondents told the inquiry that their mental health was affected by the abuse. Four, 81% of respondents told the inquiry their family life was adversely affected by the abuse. Fifthly, 72% of respondents told the inquiry their career was negatively affected. And six, 65% of respondents told the inquiry their education was negatively affected by the abuse. All of that does not come as a shock to me. Mm. It may come as a bit of a shock to some of our listeners. And again, it's appreciating how the effects of sexual abuse are not just physical. They invade all aspects of somebody's life. They invade all aspects of the survivor's life. So it affects their ability to have relationships. Mm. Family life can be affected. Health can be affected. Education be affected. You know, we see too many cases of children having been abused, their education becomes disrupted as a result and that has lifelong consequences. And many survivors will tell us, if only I could get back into education or training and rebuild my life, which comes back to this issue of getting support, getting access to justice so that they can get back into education and training. Yeah, I'm also not altogether surprised by the statistics and the results of those questions. I guess actually what it brings up is we've got to ask why this is the case, why so many feel that their intimate relationships have been impacted, why so many people feel their mental health has been impacted. And I think there's one very obvious question. Sexual abuse is insidious and it's and it's an issue that pervades many elements of people's lives. But also, I think it represents a wider issue within society that for many, for decades even, the, the issue of childhood sexual abuse has been something that people really want to sweep under the carpet and is best left unsaid. I think looking at the Catholic Church, that's a perfect example. You know, we can see now with some degree of certainty, this is a problem of epic proportions within that organisation which was covered up for decades. And survivors were essentially conditioned to feel that it was their fault, they should feel guilty, and to hide it deep inside. And that served one purpose, the protection of the institution and the abuser. And it's not specific to the Catholic Church, but it touches so many facets of our society and institutions. 
And I think that really factors into these results we're seeing, you know, people have hidden these things away for many years, 26 years being the average time to disclose. That's got to be a result of how people are conditioned to feel. What do you, do and you of feel? course, that's absolutely right. And just jumping in here, we've had, have we not, in the last um, sort of 24 hours, we've had the Pope making some announcement about there's got to be some kind of mandatory reporting, as I understand it, within the Roman Catholic Church. If that's correct, that is a major step in the right direction. And of course, we also had of the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse, publishing its report on the Church of England, in particular the Chittister Diocese, and the effective covering up, for want of a better term, of yeah. abuse within that diocese, and how the interests of the Church were paramount as uh, in direct conflict with the interests of victims and survivors. So we've got two sort of high-profile news reports coinciding with what you are just talking about, Sam, about how powerful organisations deal with these issues. And of course, that power, in my opinion, helps to suppress victims and survivors. And so this report from the parliamentary group, I think, is very timely. And I hope it goes very much further. I think that the parliamentary group has got a lot more to do in respect of these issues, support and access to justice. Yeah, and I think something else in there that I found really impactful is the effect this has on intimate relationships and also family relationships. And this is born out of conversations I've had recently with people, survivors, who feel that it's affected their family relationships because people don't necessarily understand the impact of childhood sexual abuse and how it affects people in a psychological and psychiatric sense. And that's not at all surprising given what we know from this report now that many survivors themselves are unable to access good quality information about the impact of childhood sexual abuse. So if the survivor is unable to access this information, then how is a loved one or friend able to properly understand this devastating impact? And this misunderstanding and also not quite, you know, that, that, that idea of, well, it's happened, move on, which many people would feel very much alienated by and misunderstood. Given that in society there's not this access to information about this issue, I don't think that's surprising. What do, what do you think, Al? No, I think that's exactly right. It is a real issue, and both at ICSA and at the parliamentary session that I attended, I tried to make this point. Survivors and their families are very dependent on those who ought to know giving them the information that they need and the support that they need. But I see far, far too often that those working with survivors often don't know themselves. So if they don't know, they're never going to be in a position to pass on the correct information or informative information and informative advice to survivors. So survivors are not empowered to get the support and the advice and the access to justice that they all need. Yeah, the important things. You touched on there your involvement in this, and I note that you're thanked at the end of the report. Can you tell the listeners what your involvement was and uh, and also elaborate a bit more on what the points you made on that day? Well, I had the privilege of attending a public session at Parliament, and I think the main points that I was trying to get over was the Home Office has got a big responsibility here. You know, it's responsible for ensuring law and order and access to justice for victims of crime and so on. And what really concerned me was that the 
Home Office had published a review in 2018 about all these issues, yet survivors didn't really get much more than a passing mention, and there was very little, in my opinion, about the advice and support that survivors of sexual abuse ought to receive. And I think that is a glaring omission. There you have a very worthy, on the face of it, document sort of paving the way for the future, yet survivors' needs weren't really being addressed. And mm. so that really concerned me. So that was an issue that I've already raised with ICSA. And as I said, I raised it in Parliament as well. And Parliament, and particularly the MPs, need to get to grips with all of this if there are to be any changes. And the second point that I tried to get over was that survivors need to be given what I call a statutory voice. So that when government departments, whether it's the Home Office, for example, looking at crime, looking at law and order, looking at victims' rights... It is mandatory for them to consult survivors. Survivors need to be given a statutory voice so that their needs are recognised and are addressed. Otherwise, they just sort of fall under some kind of umbrella and get overlooked. And that's got to change. All great points. And uh, to touch on your first point there as well, I I think it's very telling that there's... Well, I guess there's a lot... In a lot of situations, there's just too many reports... Too many things being written down and not enough being done. And I think that in respect of that, that's what this report is trying to move away from. It's its recommendations to Parliament are quite simple. Uh, well, not quite simple. They're, they have a few different ones and the listeners can go to our show notes to read those. We're not going to read them out one by one here. But what the report is basically recommending is that the Home Office commission and publish research on the economic and social cost of childhood sexual abuse. And while it's a rather unpalatable thought that the only way we can see change here is if we see a benefit to everybody, society at large, it's probably something, it's probably the only thing that's going to get that kind of support behind it. It's a reality of our times, I think. So maybe this is what we will see the impetus for actual change and movement in this area is that there is real figures that can't be denied about what the economic cost of childhood sexual abuse is on society and how society will benefit from greater access to services. What do you think about that, Alan? Well, yeah, I think that's absolutely necessary. You know, it's about ensuring that those in the front line are equipped and they know what their responsibilities are so that survivors and their families get all the information and advice that they need. And I think it also needs to be mentioned that there needs to be a sort of public health campaign to raise awareness of the issues around childhood sexual abuse that highlights the potential impact on survivors, tackles social myths and stereotypes because sadly they do exist, Um, and direct survivors and professionals to the right sources of support and information. It's about empowering at the end of the day. Survivors and their families need to be empowered. And and Alan, touching on that there about the public health campaign, obviously brings to mind the fact that um, our team and also in Hugh James, in conjunction with the NSPCC, ran a national conference into child abuse earlier this year in January in Wales. And the question there was whether childhood sexual abuse should be a public health issue. 
We spoke about that on an earlier podcast. It was an extremely successful day. I understand that there's been a letter that's gone or is going to the Welsh Parliament that arises out of that day. Do you have any updates in relation to that? Yes, I think there was a general consensus that this is a public health issue. And if the focus is as a public health issue, there may be some of the changes parliamentary group are looking for and others are looking for will actually happen. There we go. Okay, well, I'm not going to read through all five recommendations. We've gone through two of them. There are others in there. This is obviously very important and a welcome report for many. There's going to be two more, so we'll wait for those and obviously read with great interest. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify and Google Play. If you would like to speak to Alan or I about something you have heard this week, or even if you would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, please do get in touch at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk 